We are happy for that, aren't we? Good morning, welcome, glad you're here today and just good to be together in the house of the Lord. A couple of announcements before we get into the word. There's a, currently a need in our worship ministry for drummers and bassists for our Sunday services. So we're looking for skilled individuals who have a gifting in those two specific areas. If you're interested in getting involved or you want more information, just please uh, call Samuel at the church office during the week. Also want you to be aware of a, a summer mission opportunity to the castle in Milstadt, Austria. Been going there several years now and uh, serving the missionaries during their uh, European Missions Conference. The dates for the conference this year are going to be August uh, 12th or this uh, whole uh, mission, the uh, opportunity to serve will be this August 12th through to the 26th. And um, our job will be to serve the missionary families as they do enjoy the retreat of worship and rest and fellowship. Our areas of service are kitchen work and hospitality, maintenance and grounds, audio, uh, video, also engineering, and uh, emergency medical support. So if you're interested in uh, this mission, please attend an informational meeting that's going to be this next Sunday, February 15th at 12.30 in room 204. Flyers are available related to this uh, opportunity out in the fellowship hall after the service. Let's stand together and let's turn this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Sunday night, we make our way through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and currently in the book of Isaiah. And this morning, we're pulling a little section of Scripture out of uh, the larger section that we'll be studying tonight. And we'll pick things up in chapter 46. If you're with us and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave and get their attention. They'll get one into your hands. It's marked right to the place we're studying this morning. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, well, you do now. God wants you to have a Bible and to know the Bible and a gift from Him today. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 1. The Word of the Lord. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. I even, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the richness that is found in just these four verses alone, in this your book, to say nothing of the rest of it. We thank you, Lord, that these four verses are going to outlive the heavens and the earth and all of the truth that is found in them, bound up in them, Lord. And we ask that you would take these truths off of the printed page and by your Holy Spirit plant them, Lord, into our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength this morning. We have spent a week being inundated with 
nonsense and information and theories and ideas and things that won't even outlast the weak, let alone outlast the heavens and the earth. So much has flown into our hearts and our minds. We're so thankful to be able to turn to something that is sure and steady and eternal, Lord. And so we ask that you would bless us as we study your word this morning. We pray that you fill us freshly with your Holy Spirit, giving us a supernatural capacity to hear your voice through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the buzzwords of our current age is the word tolerance, and I think that you'd probably agree with me, certainly if you're my age, that like never before, certainly in my lifetime, it is continually being drummed into our heads that we must be uh, tolerant. And so we live in a nation, I won't speak of the world itself, though it's not far behind, but we live in a nation that is literally hell-bent on the issue of tolerance. And it seems that anything and everything must be tolerated no matter what it is. And I'll tell you, it can really be a source of frustration, especially in the lives of Christians who have been provided with such clear definitions of right and wrong and good and bad as we have been in the Bible. But it's important for us to realize that tolerance on some level is required of everyone in a world that is filled with the kind of diversity that this world is filled with. Diversity of opinion, diversity of beliefs, diversity of religion and behavior and politics and on and on we could go. Everyone in the world does not think and believe like me on a wide variety of issues, and thus they require tolerance on my part toward them. I have to tolerate that, and they have to do the same thing with me. And at this time, even God tolerates thoughts and ideas and beliefs and behaviors in the world that are contrary to his word. He won't always do so. One day, he is going to uh, this age of grace will be over, and uh, this period of offering people the opportunity to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ and be saved, or to continue in their sin and reject Christ and go on about their business. Ultimately, all of that, everything that's contrary to his word, will give way to a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. But for now, he tolerates more than he will ultimately tolerate uh, for eternity. The problem that we face today is that many within our culture are now moving from uh, demanding tolerance of all of us concerning the conflicting beliefs and behaviors that, of others to now demanding that we further believe that all such beliefs and behaviors are equal or that they are equal to our own. But not all ideas or things or beliefs or behaviors are equal. A Yugo though a car is not equal to a Mercedes-Benz. 
I haven't owned either of them in my lifetime. If I was offered a choice, I know which one I would readily choose. They're both cars, but they're certainly not equal. The same thing can be said of donuts or toothpaste or homes. Not all of them are equal. And what is true of things is also true of ideas and beliefs and the multitude of gods that people worship in this world. And in this entire section of the book of Isaiah, the Lord is calling upon people, even his people, to be discerning and to be critical concerning who and what we worship in life, who and what we make our God. We notice in verses 1 and 2 God's observations concerning the Babylonian gods of Bel and Nebo. They were the principal gods of Babylon. Babylon had many, many gods, but these were the two chief uh, gods among the Babylonians. Bel means Lord, and almost certainly this is a title that is referring to uh, the ancient Mesopotamian god of Marduk. And so when it talks about Bel or Lord, everyone knew that Marduk was the god, the supreme god of Babylon, and uh, ultimately of Persia as well that would follow it. So Bel refers almost certainly to this god. And Marduk and Bel was the creator God and worshipped as such and worshipped as supreme among the Babylonian gods in terms of power. Now why would man be compelled to create and worship such a God? Except that we have a deep inescapable sense that in the midst of the uncertainty and the chaos of the world around us, that we are in need of a God who possesses a power and a strength that is greater than our own. And the creation of this kind of a God is a cry for help, really. We simply cannot bear the thought that we are all alone in this thing called the universe, that we are all alone to navigate this thing called life within the severe limitations of our own power. It's a thought that's horrifying to us, so horrifying that we're willing to fabricate a God within our mind and build an entire religious system around that God in order to escape and to banish this idea that we are alone in the universe and we face all of life in the universe and our own power to banish banish that thought into the back of our minds. And it's also a confession born out of observation and experience that there are all manner of experiences and tasks and needs and crises in each of our lives in which our strength and our power is insufficient. And we know that we need a source of strength that is greater than ourselves, a rock that is higher than I, is how the Bible puts it. And again, that sense of vulnerability to so much in life, it's so great, so fear-producing, that we'll go so far as to fabricate a God in our minds and then to worship that God in order to find some peace and relief in the light of our powerlessness in the face of so much in life. And Nebo was Bell's son, 
He was the patron of wisdom and the art of writing. And his function was to write on the tablets of destiny, the fates decreed by the gods for the coming year. And again we ask ourselves, why would men feel compelled to create and worship such a god? Except that we possess, and we have always possessed, a deep, inescapable sense that in the midst of the uncertainty and the chaos of the world all around us, that we are in need of a God who possesses a wisdom that is greater than our own. And we see it in mankind. We see it in Bel. We see it in Nebo, that man has been created for a relationship with God. And then all of life is a search for that God that we hope when we find will be greater than our needs, both in terms of power and in terms of wisdom. And each year at the time of the New Year Feast in Babylon, both the Father and the Son, both Bel and Nebo, would be paraded through the streets of Babylon, followed by this great procession of people celebrating the power of Babylon and the power of her gods. But the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he had been watching all of this year by year for many, many years. And in these two verses, he shared his concerns. He noted that these gods had to be carried by their followers in order to get from one place to another. That it seemed incredible to the Lord that the God of power should need to be transported by animals, by beasts, and by cattle. And it seemed inconsistent to the Lord for the God of wisdom to be dependent upon the dumbest of animals for transportation as well. And God took note of how heavy these idols were, how they were a burden to the oxen, they wearied the cattle, the crushing weight that they added to the lives of both men and beasts. And it seemed inconceivable to God that man, conscious as we are of our need for strength and wisdom greater than our own, would cut short our search for such a God and be willing to settle for a God that has to be carried, a religion that only places a further burden on us in life, is only an addition to all of the other burdens that we must bear in life. And ultimately... At the time of the invasion and the overthrow of Babylon by the Medo-Persians under King Cyrus, the gods of Bel and Nebo were further exposed. As the priests piled them up on these carts and hitched the animals to those carts in order to flee the city with their principal gods, the burden became so great that the animals wearied under the load. They were crushed by the weight and they halted ultimately in exhaustion. And ultimately, both the beasts, the people, and the gods were taken captive. Bel was not only unable to protect his followers from going into captivity, but he was unable to even protect himself. Both Bel and Nebo became prisoners of war. Imagine that. And God was communicating to his people and to the world, don't worship any God that you must carry, that leaves you weary and heavy laden.
that crushes you with additional burden, that cannot deliver, cannot keep you from going into captivity. Now in contrast to these gods that had to be carried, the Lord then presents himself to his people in verses 3 and 4 as the God who carries us. The Lord had upheld, he said, verse 3, and carried his people, the children of Israel, since their birth as a people, since they had been born as a people and a nation. As God called Abram, ultimately to be renamed Abraham, from Ur the Chaldees, to become the father of this great nation and lead him to a promised land. And the Lord has done the same thing for us as Christians following our spiritual birth. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them everlasting life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. In other words, Jesus is saying both the Father and I are united in this great goal, in this great task of holding our people. I have my hand underneath my people, Jesus said, and my Father has his hand under them as well. And we see the commercial through the years. I forget which one of the advertisements for insurance company, the good hands people. You can't be in any better hands than to have the hands of God the Father and God the Son under us. And so we have because of our faith in Christ. And he said further in verse 4, he promised to continue to carry them, not only in the birth of them as a nation, but also to carry them in old age. From the moment of birth all the way through old age, God promises to carry us, not needing to be carried by us. And here's the recognition, though, that the very early years of life and the later years of life represent two particularly vulnerable seasons in life. They're the seasons in life when we recognize we need to be carried. So often if you've ever had children, they, re they have a certain age where every time they go further than half a block, they have to be carried. Carry me, carry me, carry me, carry me. <laughs> pretty soon they don't want it to happen, but I mean in those young age, they real I don't have the strength, I can't, I, we, I'm not going to make it to the store or through the store. You've got to carry me. And there's that recognition. And then we get into old age. And we become aware of our need to be carried that is just as acute as when we were babies. We're aware of the greatness of that need. All the years in between, we live self-deceived. When all we have to do is think a thought and our body responds immediately to that thought and it jumps up on the wall and then jumps down the wall. Now at this age, if I can even get up to the top of a wall or a fence, it takes considerable meditation on my part to jump down to the ground. How badly is this going to hurt? Is there any way I can creep down by degrees? Some of you recognize it. But all of those years in between, we begin to think that we don't need it and we're something and we're just looking for a cape and a phone booth and 
And then the years move on and we realize we have always needed, but sometimes it's just at the beginning of life and the end of life toward there that we realize how great our need is to be carried. And here we have one of the many differences between God and man. In our culture, of course, a youth-oriented culture, in old age, how many are forgotten? The world's not interested in anything that's in decline, at least outwardly speaking. We know that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. But who cares about the inward man and the culture we live in? Who cares about the lessons that have been learned and the wisdom that's been gained in the school of hard knocks and other ways? It's old, it's in decline, it's like a toaster. You go get a new one and move on to the new uh, thing and replace it with a new model. But God never does that to his saints. He said, even in your old age, I am he. And I will be to you what I have always been to you. In the days of old age and gray hair, I'll tell you, it's not a time to be unsaved. If you sit here today and you have gray hair and you are not saved, what are you thinking about? It is not a season of life to head into, separated from the one that created you and created you in order to one day carry you all the days of your life. There are many burdens in life that we're not sufficient for. Many things that we face in life that we need God to carry us through. There's the burden of existence. You think of how many people down through the ages, at one time in their life, and just the ebb and flow of life, the daily of life, they've asked themselves or even put it into words to another person, even a young person speaking it to a parent, I never asked to be born to this world. Why was I ever born? I wish I'd never been born. Job said it in the greatness of his trials. That's the cry of the person who recognizes that life is too much for us to carry. And sometimes we recognize it very early in life, which is never a bad thing when we know who to run to. That we need... Not religion, not some God that needs to be carried, introduced into our life, but a God who will carry us. And that God is the God of the Bible. Not only can he carry you, but the marvel of marvels is that he wants to. Why would he want anything to do with me? It's not an issue of his power. I can look at a person can believe in God. Even a Christian can believe in God today and have a relationship with him and know all about his power to carry, but then to wonder about his will to carry. Does he want to carry me? Does he want to bear me? Will, does he want to deliver me? Will he carry me? That's the great question. And God reassures us that he not only can, but he wants to and he will. Then there's the burden of sin. I remember I have two favorite movies in all of the world, and uh, I, the number one movie in my mind is, is in its own league, and the rest of them, they fight for second and third. But a movie that I really do like is the movie Hoosiers, come out many, many years ago. It was about basketball, so how could you go wrong? But anyway, <laughs> in basketball in Indiana, which is doubly great, 
But within that movie, there was a coach played by Gene Hackman. And he had been a very, very successful collegiate coach. Very successful. And he's talking with Barbara Hershey in the movie, a woman who is kind of a romantic part of that, uh, part of the movie there, a romantic interest in his life. And he has an open conversation with her. And, he confront, and she confronted him with the fact where she discovered how it is that where he came from, what his name was, and his success, and his former uh, kind of calling as a collegiate coach, and uh, why in the world, you know, she, or she was asking him, uh, she hadn't discovered it yet. She, she knew that he was a coach, and, and what brings him now to this small town in Indiana to coach high school basketball? And he explained to her that he lost that prestigious coaching job because in the emotion of a game, he punched one of his players during a timeout. And he said in that movie, he said, the funny thing is, he was the best kid who ever played for me. And then he said this, he said, in one second, everything I had worked for was finished. And I think to myself, what person doesn't know something about that in their life? Where some sin we've committed makes us think, I'd give my right arm to take that back. I'd give my right arm for another opportunity to do that differently. Where do we go with our sin and our guilt? and our regret. Who's going to forgive us of our sins and wash the sin away and give us a fresh start? Who can carry, who can carry a sinner through this life? Who will carry us through all of the temptations and the pitfalls and the failures and the regrets? God will. And he will bear us and he will carry us and in his own words he will deliver us just as he promised. And then there are the burden of the responsibilities of life. Lord, there are so many people that I'm responsible for in life. My wife, my husband, my children, my mother, my father, my employees. But who's going to carry me, Lord? Everybody's depending on me to carry them, but who's going to carry me? And then there are the responsibilities of our Christian calling and our Christian witness where we can cry out to God and say, Lord, I thank you for your call upon my life. But the needs and the ministry that you've called me to are so overwhelming at times. The fields are so white under harvest, but the labors really are few. And I'm so discouraged, I'm so weak, I'm so disillusioned even by what I've come to see and what I've come to learn in serving in this capacity, what my life has been exposed to as a result. Every servant of the Lord needs to be carried, and God promises to do it. And He will uphold us, and He will carry us, and He will deliver us just as He has promised. I think many of us are familiar with that famous poem, Footprints in the Sand, and it captures all of this perfectly. Maybe you've never heard it before. Maybe it's been a long time since you heard, uh, heard it. And so allow me to read it to you today. The poem goes like this. One night I dreamed a dream, and as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, 
And across the dark sky flashed scenes of my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. And after that last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed that at many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest time, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you once said, you said, once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never ever during your trials or testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And that's exactly the point that God is making. And what is said and communicated by a saint toward God in that poem is true of every single one of our lives. Think of how many of us know in this room the truth of that and have experienced it. I know I speak on behalf of many when I say I sure do. Let's allow our Heavenly Father to speak clearly from this passage, his passage of Scripture, that whatever circumstance or trial you find yourself in today, he is going to uphold you, and he's going to carry you, and he's going to deliver you. That's his promise to you today in the middle of your situation. He's going to uphold you and carry you and deliver you. That's the promise. Claim it concerning your situation this morning. Jesus made a similar invitation to us in, this, in the New Testament where he declared, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus, interestingly enough, spoke those words to an audience of Jews, an audience of Jews who were deeply steeped in religion. Not in the religion of the Old Testament. Not in a religion that properly represented the heart of God as he's revealed to us here in chapter 46 verses 1 through 4. But steeped in a religion of what many of the Jewish religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees had turned Judaism into. And what had they turned the law and the prophets into and the God of the Old Testament into? Jesus described it in this way. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, he said, For they bind heavy burdens. I almost feel like I'm back in Isaiah chapter 46. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. How does it happen? How did that happen? 
to the Jewish religion. How did they accomplish such a thing, such a wrong transformation of the law and the prophets? Why would they do it? It happened when men who believe that you have to suffer in a relationship with God or you're not doing it right became the dominant influence in Judaism. And since we were never intended to suffer in a relationship with God, they then came up with their own man-made ideas and traditions that they added to Judaism that turned it from a relationship with God and into legalism and made the beautiful religion and relationship with God described in the Old Testament, yes, has no comparison to what we experience under the New Covenant in the New Testament, but it was the best thing that existed until the time of Christ. And they turned the religion that was intended to be a relationship with a God who carries, and they had made that religion into a burden that needed to be carried by the people upon, on the top of all of the other burdens that they were carrying in life already. But some of us don't need a legalist to do that to us. We readily do it to ourselves. Has your Christian life become a burden? Something that crushes you. Something that is a great weight upon you. Something that leaves you weary in heart. Has everything gotten turned upside down? And instead of it being God carrying you, you feel like you're carrying God. And you've gone from a simple, pure, joy-filled relationship with God to one that is just this joyless obligation, defending God, protecting God, attempting to do God's job for Him in your life and in the life of others, attempting to fulfill and to keep His promises to you concerning your life and circumstances rather than allowing Him to keep His promises to you, trying to earn His grace and favor which cannot be earned. And God wants you to get rid of that Christianity because that isn't Christianity at all. And it's interesting how it can happen over time. Our relationship with Christ, it begins so simple, so carefree, so light-hearted, so weight-free. And then over the time, it becomes something entirely different under the weight of legalists within the body of Christ, legalistic teaching, or even the legalist that's within our own heart. We say, how in the world did we ever get to this place? Where along the way did I lose my joy and my excitement and my peace, the lightness of heart? Again, Jesus declared, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christianity on a macro level and on a micro level as well 
faces the ongoing onslaught against it, to redefine it away from what it actually is, every bit as much as a relationship with God under the law and the prophets did at the hands of the scribes and of the Pharisees. And it takes Jesus to bring us back to the simplicity of all of it. And your heavenly Father wants you to know in the words of this passage in Isaiah, I will uphold you. I will carry you. I will deliver you. You're getting wiped out because you're trying to do his job for him in your life and circumstances. But he didn't save you to carry him. He saved you to carry you. I will carry you. I will carry you. I will carry you. I will carry you. Do you see how much is bound up in just that single line and that promise toward us? Will you let it sink in? Will you let it wash over your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength right now? And the circumstances that you face in the privacy of your own heart, the things that people know, the things that you've discussed with other people, but the things that are in your heart and your mind that you would never dare to say to another person because you wouldn't want them burdened by the burden that you're carrying, and to allow God to speak to all of it, to allow it to impact you from head to toe this morning, this promise of God, I will carry you. We aren't worshiping an idol and the worship of the true and the living God. We're worshiping a God who loves us and who will carry us from birth through old age and into the glory of heaven itself one day. Verse 3 once again. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. The word of the Lord this morning. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Mm. Father, we pray that as you look at our lives, not just outwardly, but you look at our minds and our hearts, our spirit, our relationship with you, Lord. All of the things that only you know. And we pray 
that if in any way, in whatever measure, we have allowed Christianity to be redefined in our hearts and in our minds by the world around us or by teaching that is going on by those that are wanting to do us good but they're changing what Christianity is about or Lord if in any way our Christianity has moved far from the Bible or even a step from what you describe in your word under the legalist that's within our own lives or the type A person that we are or the can-do person that we are Lord we ask that you would take that and put your finger on it. Help us to identify it in our lives. And to confess to you today that yes, we have. We're guilty. We have been carrying what you have promised to carry and you alone can carry in a healthy way. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, individually, and then for the, everyone that stands around us, that you would use your word this morning to freshly release us into the beauty and the freedom and the joy and the peace and the carefreeness, Lord, of the Christianity that Jesus, your Son, has provided to us. Thank you, Lord for your promise to carry us and to uphold us and to deliver us. We claim it today. And all of the broad diversity of what we're facing in our lives and in our hearts, we claim that promise today, Lord. Thank you for making it. Thank you for standing behind it, Lord. Thank you for being the God that you are, the privilege and the joy of knowing you and worshiping you, and trusting you, and resting in you. And we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning, and you don't yet know Christ, then you're carrying everything in life. And God tells you, it's not wise to worship a God, including yourself that you must carry. Do not cease your search for God until you come to the God who can and will carry you. Because God knows that when you come to that place in your search, you're standing before the true and the living God, the God of the Bible. And now you're home. And now you've found the one that is worthy of your trust and worthy of your faith. He longs to be all that I've described him this morning to be to those who know God and have come into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son. And all of this becomes yours in a moment as you would put your faith in Jesus as well. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship this morning. In a moment, we're going to be dismissed after a closing worship song. But that dismissal is not the end of the service. In many ways, it's the beginning of one of the most important reasons for why we gather together as Christians. And that is our ministry to one another 
is a body. And so as the service closes this morning and I say God bless each one of you today, take an opportunity to say hi to some number of people. Be open to praying for one another and iron sharpening iron, encouraging one another, interacting in a way that a body interacts. And, and what God has called us to do and be is the body of Christ. On a weekly basis we have no idea what people have experienced just the week before to say nothing of the month and what they've brought into this room and just a need to know that somebody else cares. Others have had a great week but they have no idea the week that is awaiting them and how much the fellowship today will mean. We need God, yes, but we need one another. That's the reason for the second commandment, to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, take an opportunity to do that. If God has spoken to you this morning, you say, I'll tell you, I'm carrying the... I don't know how I've gotten here in my Christian life. I'm, I'm doing everything for God. Not that I'm doing it effectively, but I'm trying to do it. And you're not through meeting with God yet this morning. The worship team is going to continue in worship after the service kind of closes and you're fellowshipping with one another. You just sit down right where you are. And don't leave. Just sit under the worship and don't leave until all that gets settled with the Lord. Ask Him to be freshly refilled with the Holy Spirit. Take you back to what you once had and He'll do it in an instant here today. He's eager to meet with you and do in your life whatever needs to be done. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit continues on after the dismissal and take advantage of all the potential of that part of the service as well. Mike, will you close us?